Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wild Card Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. Welcome in, everybody. I'm Nick Seipel. My guest today is DraftKings co-founder and CEO, Jason Robbins. Jason, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Uh, I'm excited to talk to you. You know, I'm 28 years old, big sports better, but also someone who, who loves business and, and following a business history. And DraftKings, I think, is a fascinating story. A lot of folks you know, think about that this brand, a, a leading company um, in sports betting and daily fantasy sports, but a lot of folks don't may, might not realize the company started in 2012 and wasn't always uh, the leader in its industry. So can you talk about the founding of the company, what led you to, to start the company, and how did you take it from an idea to, to one of the leaders in the space? Well, I had worked for uh, almost a decade in corporate America, um, you know, middle management jobs, my two co-founders, same. We had worked together at, you know, uh, Capital One, Matt and I worked at, and then uh, all three of us worked together at a company that was called Vistaprint, now called Simpress. And um, we always had this entrepreneurial, you know, uh, kind of pull, but never had good timing. I graduated college shortly after the bubble burst, um, you know, when I was thinking about leaving Capital One, Matt and I discussed doing a startup and it was like, um, you know, about mid 2008 at that point. So uh, you can figure out kind of how that went, Um, you know, and finally, uh, you know, the next time around, it was, you know, early 2010s, we started having the bug again and talking about it. And, uh, you know, this time the timing was right. So um, the only thing is we didn't have an idea. Uh, So we spent, you know, about six, 12 months just going out for drinks and dinner, batting around ideas. Uh, And one day Matt sat me down and said, you know, hey, I think I got it. And he told me the basic idea of DraftKings. And, you know, it took me about two, three minutes to process. And then I was like, this seems really good. So I went home and I thought about it and I was just excited all night. And the next day I came in and I said, all three of us have to meet up after work. So we did. And, um, you know, that night we decided this is the one we're going to go for. And from there, it was just like a lot of, you know, really working nights and weekends. Um, you know, we go after work about seven o'clock to Paul. Uh, he had a spare bedroom in his Watertown, Massachusetts house. So we go there and work till about one, two in the morning. Weekends, we wake up around, you know, five thirty, six, and uh, do the same thing, work all day. And finally, we had enough of a prototype and, you know, and I, I, we didn't have any customers or anything yet, but we did have um, you know, a general plan and idea of what we were doing uh, that we said, look, you know, it might be time to put a little money in. So we decided to put some money in ourselves. And we said, well, we might as well get a lawyer. Uh, and uh, we said, all right, so we got a lawyer, uh, mostly just to form the corporation. And he starts pushing us, you got to go raise venture capital. And at the time, there were others that were pursuing a similar idea, we weren't the only one. So um, we realized we probably did go to need to need to go raise venture capital. Um, so we set out to do that. Um, you know, got told no probably about 50 plus times before a guy named Ryan Moore at Accomplice Ventures put some money in, followed by Peter Blacklow, Boston Seed, a few others, and uh, we put together a 1.4 million dollar seed round, and that was the beginning of the business. And lots obviously happened since then. That was uh, February of 2012 when we closed the first money, and um, you know, it really was uh, a lot about just trying to kind of build the market and figure out what it would take to lead. And ultimately, what we found was the product and the customer experience was just critically important. It was, you know, something where people were going for entertainment. They were looking to have fun. 
Um, and if you could create a great product, a great user experience and provide people with the fun and entertainment they were looking for, then you know that was the secret. And we also found in daily fantasy sports that having user liquidity was a huge thing. Um, it was a you know two-sided or not two-sided, but it was basically a marketplace uh, as well as a game. So you know, we were matchmaking amongst people who wanted to play. So having a lot of users who were playing um, actively was really important and it created tremendous network effects along the way. Right. That was one of the things I wanted to talk about is, you know, in that in that growth period in 2016, in particular, there was this there's this period where you couldn't help but see DraftKings and FanDuel ads all over the place. You talk about user liquidity, the, the customer acquisition part of this business, you know, how important is customer acquisition and, and you know, the, the, the marketing strategy, you know, how important was that to success? Oh, I mean, it's really a CAC to LTV business, so very important. Um, a lot of our product and technology investment is in you know infrastructure, uh, including you know great data science, great analytics, automated bidding that helps us optimize our CACs. We think in a way that's you know superior to to some of the competitors out there. Um, and you know, on the LTV side, we started with daily fantasy, but as you know, in 2018 we launched sports betting. Uh, also, you know, really 2019, I guess it was late December 2019, we, uh, 2018, we launched iGaming. Um, so, you know, as we've expanded our product portfolio, we've seen dramatic rise in LTVs. That's obviously in states that allow them, we've launched those products. There's some states that have yet to legislate, but, um, you know, as we've seen more and more states do that, we've seen the overall LTV of our customer rise. So we're really always concentrating on both sides of that. How do we find the most efficient ways uh, to bring customers onto the platform. And then once they're on the platform, how do we get them to engage as much as possible, both within the product that they came in on, but also, uh, you know, crossing into other products and spending as much time with us as, as we can get them to do. Right. Absolutely. And I'm sure some of those existing da daily fantasy relationships of it has been very helpful in, in, in building out that customer base. You mentioned uh, the, the Supreme Court decision in 2018. We just passed the three-year anniversary of that. How has the business changed in, in these past three years? Well, it's really changed a lot. I mean, you know, at its core, it hasn't changed. We always were, you know, a consumer um, product and technology company. We always had a heavy, you know, internal reliance on having great product and tech, great data science and analytics. Um, so the sort of core way we operate our business and how we, um, you know, look to optimize our LTV to CAC hasn't changed. But, um, you know, as we've expanded into online sports betting and iGaming, the focus has really shifted a lot towards those products. We still do have a, a great DFS product. We have a team that's constantly working to improve it. We've added a lot of features and social stuff over the last you know year or two. But um, so much revenue and so much you know customer growth is coming from the sports betting and iGaming products that that naturally is the place we're focused. So um, the way we kind of look at it is daily fantasy sports um, is sort of that you know steady, reliable way to engage millions of customers, churn out, you know, revenue as nice growth, um, uh, but not, you know, blow your socks off growth. Uh, and then the hyper growth is coming from the launching uh, of sports betting and iGaming in new states. And even in the states, you mentioned, you know, the three-year anniversary, New Jersey launched um, just under three years ago, and we're still seeing tremendous growth there. So I think much like what we saw in Daily Fantasy, it was nationwide, so it's a bit different. It's one state by state. Um, you know, you're going to get several years of growth as you introduce new products into markets um, when there's very large TAM like there is for sports betting and iGaming. And we haven't seen that slow down at all, which has been amazing. And that's really what's driven, you know, us into that triple digit growth as opposed to fantasy, which is kind of like high single digit, low double digit growth at this point. 
Yeah, we see some of these numbers. New Jersey is is, is right up there with Nevada when it comes to, to to total handle. Like, have these numbers surprised you? How does it how does it compare to your expectations? Absolutely surprised me. I mean, I knew that this was a big market, but I didn't realize how big. Um, it's bigger than we thought. I think the iGaming side in particular is just you know orders of magnitude bigger than what we thought. Um, but sports betting is too. And, you know, I think what's really been interesting is over the last couple of years, we've seen, you know, a bit of an acceleration to uh, somewhat due to the effects of the pandemic. I think, you know, more states are in need of revenue, more people are um, engaging with online products as opposed to in-person products, given, you know, the stay-at-home nature of the pandemic. Um, but there's also just been a tremendous amount of momentum in the industry. Uh, I think people that weren't paying attention when their state opened up because it was just one or two or three states and it wasn't getting as much overall national attention. Now everyone's paying attention and um, we're getting more and more inbounds from customers all over the country saying, when is this coming to my state? So I think there's just a lot of excitement around the industry. Clearly it's a big market. Uh, and you know we're looking forward to continuing to hopefully see that momentum Bill, we're still in the very early days. Um, to use a sports analogy, we're, we're kind of in spring training. The regular season hasn't really started yet. So, um, you know, it's still very early. Um, the good news is that if we just continue to see more and more states open up and we kind of continue to just do what we're doing, we're going to see incredible growth over at least several more years. Um, but we have bigger ambitions than that. We would like to be, you know, uh, you know, uh, one of the next big tech giants. And I think to do that, we're going to have to really win in our market for sure, but we're also going to have to continue to expand our product portfolio. We're going to have to expand geographically. Um, and so what excites me the most is if we just did what we were doing now, we would be seeing fantastic growth for you know probably the next three to five years at least just on the basis of new states opening up if they were to continue to do so, uh, as well as continued growth in some of the states that recently launched. Um, but you know, what excites me is like, that's just scratching the surface of what I think the company can ultimately achieve. And there's things like I mentioned, you know, new product expansion, geographic expansion, which I think aren't even being contemplated by, by a lot of the, you know, the, the equities market right now. I think, um, you know, a lot of people are so focused on the U.S. Uh, sports betting and iGaming opportunity. I wasn't gonna ask about this, but yeah. So, so what are some of these other markets where, where you see, where you see potential to expand into maybe outside of, outside of sports betting? When you think about, you know, international markets a little bit more mature when, when it comes to, to betting. So how are you thinking about that? Well, certainly geographic expansion in, in, in our current product portfolio is, is you know, that's an obvious one. Um, I also think we can expand into new product lines and revenue lines. So, um, you know, we've recently made some moves to start to uh, explore the content business. I think that could be uh, a very interesting expansion point for us. It's you know not really I think uh, a controversial point of view that media and content intersects greatly with uh, with online gaming. It's clearly you know very synergistic. So um, I think there could be an interesting opportunity there. Simple way to put it is the customers on our platform as they um, do more gaming, they they increase their appetite for content, and then as they consume more of that content, they increase their appetite for the gaming. So it's really a a, a flywheel that gets created. Um, and right now we're only partaking in one part of that flywheel. And I think we could, we could partake in the, in the media and content side as well. And that'll be both through things that we do organically, but also through relationships that we build and deals that we do externally. Um, you know, we have a lot of deals right now, including companies like, uh, Turner, ESPN and, uh, UFC, NFL, 
many others that I think, you know, really uh, are, are content companies and licensing companies at the core. So lots of interesting things to do there, I think. Um, there's other types of products in the gaming space we don't currently offer, like poker. Um, you know, I used to uh, be a big poker fan, still am, but I used to play a lot of poker and, um, you know, have a, uh, I think, strong, um, you know, understanding as well as a lot of survey data to back up that there's heavy overlap between that product and uh, the sports products that we offer. Um, and then I think there's other products that are completely outside of content or gaming that we could we could get into. Um, that just overlap really nicely with our customer base. And uh, I think, you know, that's really what we get excited about. I think uh, we obviously have a long way to go, but, um, you know, Amazon started just selling books and look where they are now. So we have similar ambitions to just continue to, to expand product and really all centered around, you know, making sure that anything we do are focused on creating a great customer experience and putting the customer first and at the center of every decision we make. That makes a lot of sense on the content side, and you've, you've seen your relationship that you've entered into with Dan Levitard, as well as as some others. I think that the natural follow up is, you know, one of your competitors, uh, you know, Penn National, their relationship with Barstool Sports seems very much along those those same lines. That the kind of collision of, of content with, with with sports betting. What do you make of, of their approach and what they're doing? Well, I think it's based on a very similar view that there's tremendous synergy between you know the content and media side of the business and the gaming and. I think Penn, you know, figured that out. Um, and, you know, their way they're approaching it is through Barstool. Obviously, Barstool and, and Penn, um, you know, have gotten some traction. So, um, you know, there's something to it. And I think that they're, uh, you know, really just pursuing the same kind of uh, strategic view around those synergies that we are. And, you know, they did it a little bit earlier in that regard in terms of making a big move. Um, you know, most of what we had done was relatively small scale until recently, but um, you know I think you're going to see us get much more aggressive now. We just hired a chief media officer, a guy named Brian Angelette that was at Verizon, um, and you know we're planning on making a, a more meaningful move in the space. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, you're from Boston. You know, Barstool is from Boston. It's kind of a, a history there. You look at IAC has made a relationship with MGM. You have history there with the with the Draft Street acquisition. Does it feel like the competitive landscape is small to a certain extent? The the, the players and the faces. You know, it's a very tightly knit, um, you know, community, if you will. Uh, everybody knows each other. Everybody is, you know, generally uh, in contact with each other. Um, and the thing that's nice about it, although, yeah, there are some that don't agree with this, but the vast majority agree that right now the most important thing is to make sure that the legislation, the regulations, and the expansion of the category state by state is done in the right way that allows for a healthy market to develop. And I think there's such strong alignment amongst industry leaders on that now. Like I said, there's one or two or three that you know don't necessarily follow those types of uh, views, but um, most of the, by far, the vast majority of the industry does. And that's really nice to see. I think it's a recognition that um, you know, if we all see good legislation and, you know, good kind of healthy markets being created state by state, that it's going to be good for everybody in the industry. And um, eventually, you know, there'll be a point in time at which, um, you know, people will, will turn more to uh, how do I uh, figure out how to, you know, get an edge on that competitor in a way that maybe, you know, creates less of uh, a relationship than exists now. But right now, there's just such focus on making sure things are done right, that everybody's in communication, everybody's, uh, you know, collaborating very well on that front, I think. 
That makes sense. You mentioned state by state several times. Do you think of, of this as, as kind of 50 different markets or, or you know, each different market is its own? Or do you think of it nationally? How, how do you break things down uh, within your own business? That's a great question. So I think it's both. Um, you know, there are definitely in many uh, ways you look at it, 50 different. Well, let's see if there's 50, but each state is different. Um, you know, there's a little bit of a difference in the reg regulations in, in many states. Um, obviously, you know, and when we're in this earlier phase where there's mostly localized marketing, the local, um, you know, kind of landscape for marketing and uh, how to reach customers and acquire customers is different state by state. Um, you have different, you know, uh, I think state by state rules of the road on the regulation side. So, um, you know, in some states, there's ways that you can deduct certain types of promotions from taxes and in other states, it's a different type of promotion. So being able to be very sophisticated, and I think we have a leg up in this area and that, you know, we have a very strong automation, uh, you know, uh, very strong level of automation in what we do, um, I think is very helpful. Um, so in that regard, it's state by state, um, you know, but really in the end, I think it'll be a national market and it's already starting to kind of get there. Uh, in terms of the customer and the marketing. Um, you know, obviously, uh, national marketing is less expensive on a per impression basis than local marketing. But in the early days, it makes sense to really primarily concentrate on local marketing because there's not enough of a footprint to, to make national make sense, even though on a per impression basis, it's cheaper. Um, but I think you're gonna see that threshold crossed in, in the next 12 months or so, maybe sooner. Um, and, you know, I think as we get more and more states uh, adopting sports betting, you'll see more and more uh, of a national approach from companies like DraftKings. And I think that's a leg up that, that we and, you know, a small group of others will have the fact that we are so present in so many states. We're in more states than any other online operator. Um, you know, so many, most of the industry are in like one or two states, which I think is, is you know, at this stage where there's so much local focus um, isn't the biggest disadvantage, but I think as it gets to a point where there is that national scale and that national marketing uh, efficiency to be gained, then, you know, it'll be a tremendous advantage to be in, in a lot of different states. Yes, lots of different directions. I can go here and run it short on time because I may not be able to go with all go all of them. But one of the points you mentioned is automation. One of the, the points of difference with DraftKings is is the SB Tech acquisition. You're in the process of of integrating that. How does that fit in with DraftKings differentiation? And maybe you know you mentioned data earlier, benefits of scale. Does that generate benefits to scale as you build out a nationwide brand? You know, having control of our vertical product tech stack or trading. Um, we realized pretty quickly that that was a critical thing for us. Uh, we're, you know, one us. We're we're at the core product and technology company, um, and we have a great relationship with you know our third party that provides those services now. But it just wasn't something that we felt made sense long term to take you know such a big part of the customer experience, the product, and have so much of it done by a third party where we didn't have full control over what we could do. Um, you know, so we have a, a very ambitious product roadmap uh, once we complete the migration, which we expect to be, you know, uh, at or before the end of Q3 this year onto our own proprietary technology, SB Tech. Then, um, you know, we have lots of things planned over the coming years that I think, um, you know, we wouldn't have been in control before uh, if we had, you know, made this acquisition. So I think that was really important. Um, and it also kind of, you know, stems from a belief that 
it's not just who we are, but it's important in this market and to this customer that the customer will demand, you know, the best experience and that ultimately it's, you know, a viral enough market and people, you know, uh, talk enough that um, if you're providing a superior experience, then that's going to be what keeps, you know, the best stickiness and draws the most new customers in. Um, there's also a monetization component. If you offer more ways to bet, um, your LTVs will go up. And I think that then, you know, has a reinforcing, uh, you know, thing where you can continue to be more aggressive on the marketing side because you have higher LTVs than the competition. So for all those reasons, I think it's really important to control your entire product and technology stack if you're going to be a major player in this market. And um, we realized that, you know, pretty quickly early on. And, uh, you know, this is a move that, um, you know, we've been contemplating since, you know, really late 2018, early 2019. Um, so it's been a long time coming and we're pretty excited that we're um, coming up, you know, towards where we're going to be fully migrated and, and finally be 100% in control of our own destiny. Right. So, and, and to go back to the other the other thread, uh, you talked about marketing and we're about to flip to this point where, where it makes economic sense uh, to, to do national scale marketing as well as increased um, LTVs, you know, based on, based on your backend data. That tells a story of, we can press more and more on the marketing side and acquire more and more customers. And, you know, we zoom out several years down the road and there's just fewer players in this industry. Is that accurate? And, you know, if that is, what do you, what do you see as being, you know, how many players are in this industry, you know, five, 10 years down the line? Well, I think what you'll see is that the, on a national basis, the majority of shares concentrated amongst, you know, a very small number of players. You can count on one hand um, kind of number of players and that there may be still a long tail. Um, and, you know, that might be because if you're a local casino, um, you know, there's, I think, 30 plus casinos in Colorado, for example, you want something in market in Colorado. Do you necessarily have ambitions to expand all throughout the US? No, and are you gonna capture a ton of share locally? Probably not, but you might as well have something. You have a license, you have, you know, um, customers that are visiting you on the brick and mortar side. So I think that that's going to be the structure of the market. You'll have, you know, that count on one hand number where the vast majority of national uh, market share is concentrated. And then you'll have a long tail built up by, you know, some who are smaller players on a, on a you know, multi-state basis, uh, but mostly um, one or two state players or three state players, you know, for casinos that are in one or two or three states and want to have some presence where their physical structures are. That, that makes sense. So um, just have a little bit of time left. One thing we haven't talked about th this whole time here is, is the stock. It's, you're down you know, 40% from the highs. Do you feel 40% dumber? That's that's the Jeff Bezos quote. What, what, what's, the, what's the environment like around the office? I mean, we don't really pay too much attention to it. I think people obviously, you know, want to understand uh, how we report great earnings and, you know, don't see a reaction there. But once you explain, it's mostly macro, people kind of move on. We're very focused on what we can control and what we can control is creating a ton of value over the long term um, by providing great customer experiences and having a really well-run company that's efficient in everything we do. And I think if we do that, then the stock price will take care of itself over the long term. But there's obviously so many short term things that while it's fun to speculate and um, I used to like when I was younger and have more time to trade and that was that was fun for me. Um, but I think outside of like just, you know, curiosity, there's really no value to trying to figure it out. If um, it were figureoutable, there'd be 
people that were, um, you know, uh, telling us all how it worked, right? So no one really knows. Um, and I think what you do know and what you do see is that companies that perform over the long term, their share prices go up. That we do know. Um, so as long as we focus on ensuring that over a long period of time, we're consistently over delivering, we're consistently creating great customer experience, we're consistently growing our top line, and we're consistently moving towards path to mega profitability, I think our stock will be great. Okay, so, so when you walk into work today, what, what's the problem that you know, you're most excited to solve? You know, I think it depends day to day. If you're specifically asking today, um, we actually have some uh, pre-planning meetings for our strategy sessions we're going to do over the summer, which will then result in our 2022 plan. Um, so that's a pretty important thing today. Um, but it depends on the day. Every day is a little bit different. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. If you have a couple of minutes until, until, they, until you have to, have to go, I have a couple non-DraftKings questions that I, I'd love to ask you about. Um, so, you know, we mentioned earlier kind of DraftKings has been an incredible marketer going from zero to, to, you know, a nationally recognized brand. What's a company that's a brand that you admire today and why? Um, you know, I mentioned them earlier, but Amazon, I think is one, I think that they have just managed to, you know, take something that, you know, they were selling books online. I remember Amazon, uh, you know, started in the mid nineties and early to mid nineties. And, um, it's actually started, Jeff Bezos went to my rival high school in Miami, Florida. Um, and I remember hearing about, he went to a school called Miami Killian. He went to Palmetto, this, you know, Palmetto kid who had graduated and gone out, you know, to start an internet company. And he was going to put Barnes and Noble and Borders out of business and, you know, selling books online. And now look what they've become. And um, I think it's just such an amazing story of uh, sticking to a strategy, having a long-term view, even when others around you were not, you know, totally understanding what you were doing. Um, and building something that was incredibly scalable uh, and, you know, building an incredible consumer company. And I think that's like, you know, really admirable and so many lessons in there. Um, so that's one I point to that I think has a, has a very great and, and inspiring story and also has built a special brand, a special company. Yeah. Uh, what do you think about Mac Jones on the Patriots? I like it. I mean, you know, I think that with, Belichick, you, you got to just trust him. He, he tends to know what he's doing. So, um, you know, uh, I don't I don't pretend to be an NFL scout. Uh, I do watch some college football and I, I, I thought he was a good you know college player. And um, at the same time, you know, very hard for me. There's there's professionals who get paid a lot more than I do to, you know, be able to predict who's going to do well in the NFL that still don't get it right. So, um I, I, you know, I think he looks good, but really, um, I trust Belichick. He's, he's, he's been pretty good about uh, making smart picks and at least in these key positions um, over the years. And I think he's going to do a good job with Josh McDermott developing him. So Josh McDaniels, excuse me, developing him. So, uh, you know, uh, I like it, but we'll have to see. It still, uh, still hasn't played it down in the NFL. So hard to say. That's true. That's true. I'm a Bama guy. So I, I'm rooting for him. Uh, maybe last one. So you mentioned, mentioned college football. We have these changing name, image, and likeness rules in college football. Do you have thoughts on that and how it, how it may affect you know, sports more broadly? You know, it's very interesting. I think that, um, you know, my personal opinion is that the college athletes are generating, you know, the ones that are generating so much money for the schools should get some sort of reward. And it sort of seems a little unfair that 
small violations can result in them, you know, having their careers in college destroyed. So um, it's good to see some reform happening there. There's a lot of ripple effects to think about. And I know that, you know, everybody who's, who's, who's um, involved is being thoughtful about that. But, um, you know, I think that we live in a capitalist society and, you know, if people are able to generate value by things, you know, skills and things that they bring to the table, then they should be compensated for it. Awesome. Jason, thank you so much for, for spending this time with me. I hope we can stay in touch. Love it. Would love to have you on again in the future. I would love to do that. Thank you for having me. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks discussed. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Tim Sparks for mixing the show. For Jason Robbins, I'm Nick Seipel. Thanks for listening and Fool on. Fool on.